Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today, you'll meet Ashley Clark. Ashley, her husband Ben, and their son Wilder strive to live simply and fully on their 68-acre maple farm, Sacred Roots Maple, located in upstate New York. Sacred Roots Maple was established by the Clarks in 2016, but the roots of their operation go much deeper than that. The sap collected to make their maple syrup comes directly from the land that's been sugared since the 1800s. Today, we chat about how Ashley and her family are keeping the maple traditions alive with their wood-fired evaporator while blending the newest technology to optimize productivity and the health of their maple trees. I'm warning you all right now, if you didn't already want pancakes today, you're really, really going to want them after you listen to Ashley's story. (laughs) We're going to learn all about maple syrup and all of the wonderful products that Ashley and her family make at Sacred Roots Maple. Before we get to the interview with Ashley today, I just want to say welcome and hello, the newest patrons of the Rural Woman podcast, Clancy S., Amanda C., and Romy S. Welcome and thank you so much for becoming a patron through Patreon for the Rural Woman podcast. These wonderful people, as well as the other members at the 10 tier or higher, will have a chance to hear the extended portion of my interview today with Ashley, where we chat about some of the biggest struggles they have faced since purchasing their operation back in 2016, along with all of the wins that they've had, as well as some of the overall changes they have made to make this business their own. If you're interested in joining Clancy, Amanda, and Romy, and the rest of the patrons in the patron gang over on Patreon, you can head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Ashley. Hello, Ashley. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me, Caitlin. I am so excited to get to know you better and to know your maple operation better. Like we were chatting before we hit record here. I don't think I've talked to anybody that their sole thing on their farm is maple. Obviously, that might be the Canadian in me of why I'm so excited to hear this. But (laughs) yes. No, I think it's great to get maple out there. I I agree. It's not often talked about a lot in agriculture, so I'm excited. Absolutely. So for my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, give us a bit of background, who you are, where you're from, and how you got your start in agriculture. 
Sure. So my name is Ashley Clark. You can call me Ash, but my husband and I purchased our farm and our house in 2016. We named it Sacred Roots Maple, 68 acres of literally just a maple sugar bush. So Ben was in this farm working for about 15 years prior to purchasing it. And the time was just right. You know, it lined up for us to be able to take over uh, and continue the traditions and the practices of the, the previous owner and for us to be able to keep moving forward with that. So that's essentially how we got the start, just been being exposed to everything and having the experience and then for us to be in the, the right place, the right time for us to be able to take over the process. And we're located in West Shazie, New York, which is what we consider upstate New York, even though if you were to ask other people, they think it's like Syracuse or Albany, but upstate New York, about 20 minutes from the Canadian border. There you go. You're almost Canadian. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> exactly. I will I will deem you a honorary almost Canadian on the Rural Woman podcast Thank you. here. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a high honor. There you go. <laughs> So your husband worked at this operation for, you said, 15 years prior to you guys purchasing it. Was this like his childhood job? Like, how did he get into Maple? Yeah, it, essentially, that's what it was. He was available to do some like part-time work. He was a young teenager, and there was this farmer here that owned this big plot of land of, of maple sugar, uh, the maple sugar bush. And it, it just worked out for him to come out and start to learn about the trees, how to split the wood, and just kind of learning about the process of managing a maple forest and just the process of taking the sap and bringing it all the way to completion to make maple syrup. And then he also has a background too. He went to ranger school, which is a program out in the middle of absolutely nowhere where you essentially learn about outdoor forest management, surveying. Students can select kind of like what their focus is going to be. So he has a, a pretty strong background, not just in working in the maple industry, just from the, the life experience he's had, but also the background to be able to take care of the property that we have and, and the farm that we own. Cool. Very good. So let's go back to your pre-egg story. We, we skipped all over that. We just went right into maple, but I want to know more about Ashley and what you did before you became a maple farmer. Yeah. So I had like zero exposure to agriculture growing up. I grew up doing ballet my pretty much my entire life. I even was able to travel with a dance company overseas. So I really had very little exposure to even just the natural world. I mean, with the exception of like, you know, going on hikes with the family or doing things over the summer breaks, I really wasn't focused on that. And so when my husband and I met, he was obviously like working at another farm. He was working here, just really big into the outdoors, agriculture in general. And so that really opened up a lot of opportunities for me to get involved in that. But even when I met him, I really wasn't too involved in that. I, I actually went on to school to study public relations and marketing. I worked for a college for like five or six years and I really, really enjoyed it. But I, I found that it wasn't quite meeting what I was looking for with my life. And then through just like life experiences growing up, you know, developing and, and changing, I was able to actually decide to go back to school to pursue clinical mental health counseling. So it wasn't something that was typically or originally on my radar, but again, through my own experience of getting therapy, I found that that was something that I wanted to do to be able to incorporate in my my daily life. So 
the same year that we given the opportunity to buy the farm and the house, I also quit my job at the college and I went back to school to pursue this career. And I'm currently now practicing as a, a therapist. I, because I have a young child, Wilder, I, I only work a couple days, but that's a big part of my life aside from, you know, the maple farm. That is a lot of things to do all in one shot of quitting your stable job <laughs> to go back to school yeah, to chase was- <laughs> a dream like that's and purchase a farm all at the same time. So that's a lot of things, Ash. It was. It was a lot. But, you know, I think the timing proved to be right. We were in a place of just like, you know what? Life is short. This is the opportunity we have before us. And we're just going to go for it. And looking back, I, I regret none of it. So that's that's a good thing when you can say that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm in a similar boat, similar situation when I quit my job to pursue my career in agriculture and in farming. That was a big deal. So congratulations Mm -hmm. for following your big dream, because I know there's a lot of women out there (laughs) that really want to do something like that or wish to do something like that. And it takes a lot of courage to do that. So good on you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I want to talk a little bit before we get into the nitty gritty, the sticky of maple syrup. Can I say that? Is that, yeah. a, is that a term? Yeah. <laughs> or did I just make that up? Oh, it's very sticky. <laughs> no, it's, okay. it's very true. <laughs> I like that. Right. <laughs> I, I will give you the trademark rights to all of it. You guys heard this here first. So. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Let's talk more about mental health in agriculture and Mm -hmm. mental health in farming. Obviously, my geography isn't great when it comes to the New York area. Are you guys surrounded by a lot of agriculture or are you, it's more woods, that kind of thing? Like what is in your area specifically? Yeah, we actually live in a cool spot because we, like our property, our 60 acres is when I say it's just a hundred percent like a maple sugar bush, that's, that's truly what it is. I mean, there's other types of trees here in our, in our forest, but the bulk of it is, is our, you know, the maple trees. And then you can just go up the street a mile and we have other farms. So there's farmland. We live in a really rural location and farming is pretty big in our county. So it's a pretty diverse region that we live in because even just 45 minutes south of us, we're in the Adirondack Mountains, which is a huge park, obviously full of mountains and lots of forests and, and wilderness. So it's a pretty diverse place that we live where you could be in a huge farmland and then literally in the middle of the woods surrounded by maple trees. Right. This leads me perfectly into my questions about mental health <laughs> and being in a rural kind of secluded mm-hmm. area. So with your practice in mental health and in agriculture and in a rural setting, what are some trends that you find are most prevalent, whether it's depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, separation, anxiety from the outside world? What are you seeing? Yeah, and absolutely. And this time of year, too, you know, we're dead in the middle of winter. And and this is a really hard time of year for a lot of people in the North Country. I I say that term because that's what we kind of call this region, um, the the North Country area. And and I I work, like I said, the two days with my clients. But even before when I was working, you know, five days a week in mental health therapy, I would say a, a big part, especially this time of year, are people struggling with those symptoms of depression and anxiety, whether it's you know, from previous things that they're dealing with or because of just the isolation and not being able to get out much and exposing ourselves to other people and to just, you know, warmer weather. So I think that's a huge part of just if even if we put agriculture to the side for people in this area that are struggling. 
And then, of course, within farming, too, I think it can be, I think you can, you know, coming from it as an outlier, when I look at people that do farming and that are in it full time, it's an exhausting career because you're, you know, you're literally just working self-employed. So you don't have set hours. You're working all day, sometimes all night. There's really very little boundaries and ways to, to provide yourself with some self-care. And so I think on top of, you know, the weather and just maybe other things that you're struggling with and then also working crazy hours and not really taking the time to reflect on what you might need, I think that can really pile up and add a lot to to your overall mental wellness. Absolutely. Is there any words of encouragement or words of advice that you would like to leave the listeners with when it comes to mental health? Absolutely. I think I think there's still, you know, I think we've made really great strides in this career path that, you know, we talk more about mental health. And I think everyone, regardless of who you are, has been impacted personally or maybe with family, you know, with someone going through mental health struggles. But I think just talking about it and reaching out to someone, normalizing it and recognizing that you don't have to go at it alone. Um, I think that's a really big piece, being able to recognize that it's not just you, you have people, there are resources, and and it's okay to talk about it. Absolutely. Those are great. Thank you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. I love being able to incorporate, you know, the importance of our overall wellness and that that's not just physical health that, you know, a big part of that is our mental and our emotional well-being. Well, overall health and farming needs to go hand in hand because if you are not well and you are not able to physically or mentally perform the tasks on your farm or your ranch or your homestead, that affects your business and that affects, Mm -hmm. you know, the viability of your business and if you're able to be successful or not. So it's super important. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, now let's talk about maple syrup. (laughs) (laughs) I want want to know everything about it. So tell us what the process is from start to finish, what your typical year looks like, and the products that you're able to produce out of your sugar bush. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So kind of like what you said at the beginning of the podcast, you know, not many people just do maple for their prime focus within farming, but, you know, we're very fortunate enough to be able to make this you know, our main focus. And so we, on our property, like I had said, we have 68 acres of our maple sugar bush and we have about 7,000 taps roughly. So we're, we're probably considered like a mid-sized maple farm in this, in this region. And from start to finish, we, we're really, you know, thankful and love to talk about the fact that we can do literally everything from start to finish right here on our farm. And that's really big for us because when we moved here and we started to become really involved with just living off the land, we wanted to be able to use the resources here rather than having to find resources elsewhere. So when I say that, you know, from the very beginning, then goes out throughout the, the summer, throughout the fall and the winter. And we, we fell the trees. So we, we cut our own trees down. We cut and split the wood and that wood's for, you know, running the, the maple sugar operation, but also our own home to heat it. We do all of that stuff right here on the property, as, as I mentioned. And that's something that can be really time saving in a sense, but also a money saving because we have so many trees to be able to heat like the, the house and the sugar house as well. So that's a really big thing. And then in terms of like what the whole, like the full year looks like, usually in the summer, that's the time frame of when we're doing a lot of the, the cuttings and, and maintenance in the, 
in the woods. So we're cutting trees. We're just kind of doing projects that we might not be able to do in the spring. A lot of different like markets and making products, doing, you know, writing projects and, and things like that that we can do. Going into the fall, we're doing a lot of maintenance, line work. So we use a vacuum system. So we don't have like horses and buckets and like, you know, some of the books and, and shows would, would display. We have a full vacuum system to help optimize the productivity of our trees. And so essentially we have lines all throughout the woods and that is what connects to all of the trees that we have and that feeds into the main systems here at the Sugar House. In the fall, we're usually doing some of that work. We're going through and checking that things are kind of in a good place, just kind of doing a lot of maintenance work. And then as the winter comes, that's when we start to be able to decide, okay, when when do you think tapping is going to happen, checking the weather, finishing up on more projects and really getting everything in line to start for the spring. And usually that kicks into gear February through April, and that's when everything is running. So the the sap is flowing, flows from the trees to the main lines, which then go to the sugar house. And then when we get everything to the sugar house, we do use a reverse osmosis, which is a machine that essentially other companies use, but they usually keep the water and discard other material. When a maple producer uses a reverse osmosis machine, they're actually discarding the water and keeping the the sugar content. And that actually helps expedite the process of getting closer to cooking and making the maple syrup. We use a wood-fired evaporator. So again, all that wood that we have to cut, we go through so much wood. I wish I had that number written down of like how many tiers of wood we go through, but it's an incredible amount of wood that we go through. And that's the process of how we heat everything and we make the maple syrup, which is then directly put into containers that we store here. So we have all of our barrels that we need to store the, the amount that we roughly make each year. And that's pretty much like the full process from from start to finish. And again, it's really cool that we can do it all right here at the farm. I have so many. Did I answer everything? <laughs> yes. And I have so many follow-up questions. I feel like I probably missed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's what I'm here for, to ask all of the follow-up questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. So you said you had the 7,000 taps. So are you able to yes. tap more than one spot on a tree or is it just coming all from one tap? Yeah, that's a great question because this year we actually have changed things up a little bit too. So I think in the past, it was this idea that like, wow, this tree is huge. I can put like both arms around and think, you know, I'm not able to close my arms. This baby needs like three or four taps. But as Ben has done a lot more research and understanding, sometimes it's actually not healthy and beneficial for the tree to have that many taps. And so we've actually worked really hard to reduce the amount of taps that we put on a tree because it's really at the end of the day, not worth it. It's not worth it for our production and it's obviously not worth it for the tree if it's causing harm. So I would say that a normal size maple tree would probably have maybe one, maybe if it's a little bit bigger too, but we're really looking at keeping it closer to that one at this point. All right. Yeah. How old does a maple tree have to be in order to tap it and get the sap out of it to make maple syrup? That's a really great question. I'm not exactly sure the exact age, but there's been a lot of different studies. There's some farms that are doing a lot of research with like very small saplings, really small trees. We generally don't like to tap really young maple trees. Again, our practice you know, is passed down from the farmer that was here previously. We prefer to make sure that the tree is healthy and it's showing that it has a good crown on it and that it looks like it can sustain the process of tapping because 
you know, in all reality, what I try to describe to people is that a tap is kind of like a wound in a human body. So we're making this wound and it needs time to be able to heal. It needs time to be able to recuperate. So that's why in the following year, we don't tap in the same place. We try to give it enough space away from that original tap hole so that it has time to be able to, to heal. So that's why we really make sure that we're not tapping a really young tree and giving it time to be able to grow and develop. I know it sounds like I'm talking about small children, <laughs> but trees are very special to us and, and we really do care for them. So that's why it's really big and important for us to make sure that the tree is ready and not just basing it on an actual number. Right. Well, I, I love the comparison that you make to the trees being like a small <laughs> child because farmers, like with whether it's their crops or their livestock or ranchers with their livestock, like we treat these commodities like they are our children because we care about yeah. them. We care about the livestock. We care about the land. We care about all of these things. Like we are the first environmental yeah. scientists, preservationists, all of the things, right? Like we need to have these things mm-hmm. in order to have a viable business. So I like that description. So absolutely. Yeah, I call Ben a tree shepherd because oh, yeah. you know, he, he really <laughs> knows our trees and that's that's what he does. He you know, we care for them and we shepherd them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well and I guess I probably should have asked this either before we started recording or earlier on. It's a maple farm. So are you a maple farmer? Is that what we call you? Yeah, so it's so funny. There's so many different like terms that to me, grammatically, I'm like, "Mm, is that really a word? But some people actually call, you know, you could be a maple farmer, but sometimes you can be a maple sugarer. So you've got like the word sugar with ER at the end. So, uh, or you can just be called like a maple sugar producer, a maple syrup producer. There's so many different names that we've thrown out there and that are in the the world of maple. But I think maple farming is probably just as simple to to keep in mind. Gotcha. Well, I'm going to go with maple farmer because I think that just sounds cool. So (laughs) (laughs) we harvest sugar. No big deal. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No big deal. Hi, listeners. This is Kelsey Jorson Olson. You may have heard my interview on the Rural Woman podcast back on episode 42, all about online marketing for your farm or small business. If you're frustrated and overwhelmed about where to start with online marketing, you are not alone. Understanding where to begin with social media and how to implement all the information floating around would leave any business owner feeling lost. That's why I created the Cultivating Capital course. This course contains 12 modules of detailed start-to-finish instruction and tutorials, totaling over 14 hours of in-depth education to take all the guesswork out of online marketing. I cover everything from how to use Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest to drive sales and grow your customer base, to how to set up email marketing and SEO for your farm website. I'm offering the Rural Woman Podcast listeners $20 off their enrollment by using the discount code RuralWomanPodcast, all lowercase, no spaces, at checkout. To learn more and get enrolled, head over to the link in the show notes or visit me at greenwillowhomestead.com slash courses. Thanks, gals, and I will hand things back over to Caitlin. So after the sap is 
expelled from the tree, how long is like, how long do you have to cook it for? Or what is the process? How long does it take until it actually becomes maple syrup? So usually what we try to do when, when it's like a really busy day, let's say during the spring, when we're, when the sap is flowing, we really try to not keep the sap that's collected in the tanks for probably more than 24 hours. It's, it's honestly better to be able to process it sooner rather than later because when sap is stored for too long, the bacteria can actually change, you know, the the end result, the end product. So it's really important that it's stored properly. There's coverage over it that it's taken care of. And then from that process, so once we have like a full container of, let's say, sap, we can choose or not choose to use the reverse osmosis. And so the benefit of using a reverse osmosis machine is that you're actually like kind of expediting the process of cooking it. And so for us, we choose to not really crank the system too high because I, I compare it for people like when you're cooking something on the stove. If you have something on a low simmer, it's probably going to taste better. The flavor is there. It's just going to be a, an overall better product versus if I were to crank it on high and try to cook it really fast, the flavor is going to be there, but it may not be as rich and, and robust. So um, that's usually why we keep the process a little bit slower. So for us on our farm, it can take a little bit longer to actually make it. But for some people, you can process it really quickly. So I would say from the start of cooking it to actually starting to put maple syrup into a barrel, less than an hour. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. I think of like how people even started doing this, like the history of maple syrup, which I am not well versed on. I don't know if that makes me a bad mm-hmm. Canadian, but um, like <laughs> the original people, like how how did they even come about this? So if you have any idea, you can share that now, but I'm not sure. And that's something I'm going to be Googling after we, <laughs> after we're done here. <laughs> yeah, no, a big part, it was the native culture, actually. I think, again, that's kind of where that whole idea of even maple sugar came, you know, the native culture of in, how they incorporated all parts of nature, and that included the trees. It wasn't just like, you know, animals and, and things like that. It was actually incorporating what all of the different parts of nature could provide. And so I think that was the at least for us, that's what we often go to in talking about like that original place of the native culture, being able to incorporate that into their, you know, their daily life for a spring, whether it's having the, the sap to drink or to be able to make the product and cook it to a place where you can get more of like a sugar content, sugar material. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> How long are you able to store your maple syrup in the barrels? Yeah, so maple syrup is essentially canned in the barrel. So we have stored it for a year plus. You can store it as long as you really, really need to. But generally for us, we don't store it very long. We usually, once everything is canned up, we have people already lined up that are going to be purchasing it. We save a certain amount that we use for all of our products. So when we make like maple sugar, maple candy, maple, you know, all of the products that we make, we have a set amount of barrels for that as well that we tap into, no pun intended. And so, and then the other part of it is usually shipped off to sell in bulk. So generally we try to turn around the product pretty quickly. And so they don't stay canned for long, but essentially it is a canned product. So you could store it for a decent amount of time. Can I just say how I love all of the puns in the maple syrup business that we have found here? There's so many. <laughs> so many. So good. <laughs> There's a lot. 
<laughs> if, if people don't know me by now, like I really enjoy a good dry sense of humor. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All you the have puns, to, right? Right? <laughs> Oh, yes, definitely. Love it. So with maple syrup, are there different grades that you can get? Like, like I'm just thinking like of grades of beef or anything like that. Are there grades of maple syrup? Yes, there are. So the newer standard or the new classifying system, we're all right now on grade A. And so you have grade A golden, you have grade A amber, grade A dark, and grade A very dark. And as you progress down the line, the taste is going to be more flavorful, really strong, robust flavor. And, and generally, the grade is impacted by a few things. One is, and the most common that we talk about, is just the timing of the season. So generally, at the beginning of the season, that's when we make our lighter syrup, our grade A golden, and then our grade A amber. And then as the weather changes and it warms up because it's a bacterial thing, that's when we start to produce more of the darker, darker maple syrup to the point where sometimes it's, as the season gets so close to the end, I've tried it and it's just like not my favorite thing. And that's the stuff that we don't even sell. Usually when we get to that point, we just know that the season is over, but that's a big part of the grading process. The other thing that can affect grade is, like I said, the cleanliness of, you know, the, the maple process. So not keeping sap in the tanks for too long, making sure that you're cleaning out the tanks every night, just really having a good maintenance process. So from what I'm hearing, from what you're saying of uh, the process of what you guys do on your farm, I'm assuming that there are a lot more innovative and new ways of tapping the maple syrup that would be faster and quicker with all of the new technology. Mm -hmm. Why is it important for you guys on your farm to keep the traditions alive when it comes to maple syrup? Yeah, I think I think just, you know, we get magazines in the mail all the time showing us new products and just new ways to kind of revamp our maple sugar bush. I mean, there's even technology that you can have set out in your woods to check if there is like something leaking or if there's, you know, something that's broken in the lines. And obviously part of that is just an expense. That's a pretty expensive process. But there's also something really amazing to be able to walk the full sugar bush, to be able to go out on the snowshoes and be able to check the lines and actually put your hands on the tree or put your hands on the lines and to be able to see and feel and experience the full process. So to us, yes, we could quickly move in a direction where we have a very little hands-on process and a lot of, you know, reliance on technology, but it would kind of take away the joy of the whole process that we love. Um, you know, we want to be able to be a successful farm, but we also want to be able to, you know, hold true to the, those traditions that were set forth before us. So I think it's a balance between both worlds. I think, I think you have to be able to move in a direction of, of taking steps and being innovative and, and getting into newer technology, but I also think there's a line and I think it's okay to not feel like you have to cross it. It's okay to be able to, to stay where you're at and to be comfortable where you're at and to know that that's what brings you joy. So that's why we, we stay where we're at. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think even just being able to tell your story and how you do it sets you aside from different maple producers, right? Like you guys are yeah. keeping the tradition and you're able to explain why you're doing that and how this flavor profile will come in for because of X, Y, and Z and all of those things where 
as there's, I'm sure, other maple producers that are looking more for the most efficient and effective way to get their product to market where, and that's great. And if that's what they do, that's what they do. But finding your niche and finding kind of like your space in the maple world, I'm sure, sets you guys aside from from the big maple people. I don't know what they're called, but (laughs) big maple. (laughs) Big maple, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I like yeah. that. Yeah, you have to find what works for you and what fits. And I think at the end of the day, you know, maple syrup is maple syrup, just like, you know, livestock is livestock and whatever you're making or producing or, you know, raising. But I think it's it's how you do it and the story behind it that that's what sets it apart. And that's what draws people to you and, and helps build a connection. Yeah, for sure. So tell us what products you guys are making. You mentioned a couple and they started to make my mouth water. So share with us what you guys are selling off of your farm. Yeah. So we sell all of our maple syrup and all of the grades that I shared, golden, amber, dark, and very dark. And then we also make maple products. We make a granulated maple sugar. So we literally make, it's like a one-to-one replacement for white sugar. It's a nice, smooth, fine sugar that you can bake with, you can cook with. I add it to my coffee or tea. We also make a maple cream, which essentially is just 100% pure maple syrup, but it's boiled to a certain temperature and mixed to create like a creamy, buttery consistency that's really spreadable. Really, really good on like breakfast sandwiches. You can put it on salmon. You can really incorporate like it in a lot of different recipes for like that sweet, savory combination or just eat it off a spoon because that's also really good. We also make maple melts, which are maple candies, um, and that comes like in different forms as well. And then we also make, I make a maple sugar scrub. So maple syrup is actually really full and loaded with different nutrients and vitamins, as well as having antioxidants and a lot of benefits for skin health. So because I knew that and I love to also just like dive into like skincare and, and just taking care of my overall health, I decided to make that with an organic coconut oil. And so so that was a really fun experiment of taking just like maple sugar and, and the coconut oil and making like a full-on body scrub. In fact, the first time I made it, Ben actually, I gave him some for the shower and he actually ate it because it's literally just those two ingredients, but it's so good. It's, it just it feels like a blanket for your skin and it's a lot of fun to be able to take maple and make something unique with it. So those are some of the main products that we make. <laughs> those all sound amazing and my mouth is watering and all of the things. <laughs> Yeah, it's really delicious. We, If you were aware of how much maple we as a family went through, I, it would be honestly frightening. I don't tell a lot of people. And then Wilder, our little baby, he, he tried it for the first time when he was like, I think he was like eight months old. We try not to give him a ton of sugar, but he really loves it as well. So he's going to be, he's going to be a hoot this year because he's walking and yeah, it's just going to be a lot of fun. Well, I just think of it, it's like all natural sugar, right? So it's not bad for you. Right? It's not from a tree. <laughs> yeah, it comes from nature. It is. It's a healthier alternative. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a healthier, you know, lower glycemic index compared to white sugars and other processed sugars. So yeah, that's that's definitely an added benefit too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So obviously marketing plays a major role in direct market sales from farms. Tell mm-hmm. us what you're doing that has worked for you on your farm. This year, or I should say last year, we finally took the leap and created with Barn to Door, it's like a farm website company. We took the leap and created a website and an online store. And that has been 
a huge game-changing thing for us because prior to that, you know, we have a lot of, MapleShare brings out a lot of, like, local customers, and so we were getting, like, orders through texting and emailing and calling, and it was just becoming really difficult for us to manage as the farm was growing and sales were increasing. So having this web presence has been phenomenal. It's allowed us to have, you know, the option for people to order and pick up at the farm as well as for us to ship. So it's it's just been such a great opportunity for us to be able to reach other people in different states. This year, we did some packages for the holidays, and we shipped to so many different states. It was just such a, a great experience to be able to send our product from this tiny little rural community that we're from to, you know, some really big cities. So that was really wonderful. I also find that social media, for me, is a really big part of what I do. I run our Instagram and our Facebook page. And that I think that has been a great opportunity. Yes, it's it's a lot of work to stay connected and to make posts and feel like you're like sharing enough information. But I think my favorite part is just meeting other people. In fact, that's that's actually how I found out about this podcast through other farm ladies that I follow that have talked about it. So that's a big part of, of what I do in terms of the marketing side of things. Very cool. And like you said, all of this, the online marketing and the social media marketing, all of the things, it's it can be a lot of work. Trust me, I know <laughs> when it comes to promoting products and podcasts and all of the things, right? So finding that balance of where it really is. you kind of draw the line when it mm-hmm. comes to sharing and social and all of the things. But I think as long as you're being authentic in your stories and what you're sharing and talking about your product in the most truthful way, then you know you, you get your product out there and you get your story out there for everyone to learn about. Definitely. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a lot of work. I think farming and people in agriculture are pretty amazing people. I think a lot of their work goes unnoticed. And so I think it's, it's awesome that, you know, there's people like you and other people out there talking about that work. So I think that's a really great thing. Yeah, for sure. So what are the future plans for Sacred Roots Maple? So we're currently finishing up a kitchen that we are building out at the Sugar House. So that's going to be a really great opportunity for us to make more products and just a one spot location, which will also open up some room for a packaging spot for us to ship out our packages. So we're adding just a small addition onto the Sugar House for that, and that should be done pretty soon here. And I think, you know, just moving forward, one of the big projects that we're in right now is is kind of changing the layout of the woods and the lines that are out there. So one of the big things with, you know, managing a maple farm is, is forest management. And so we have to really make an, an effort every, you know, every so often to go out there, walk the lines, whether it's cutting down trees, fixing lines, just really having that as a big focus. And so we're in kind of in the midst of that project right now of, of revamping all of that and moving things around to, to continue to optimize the health of the of the forest that we have. Definitely continuing with different markets. We're, we're plugged into our community really well here in this area. And so I was actually even in the midst of COVID able to do a, a market, which, which was really refreshing. So I hope to be able to do some more markets in the future and then definitely continue with our online presence. Very good. Ash, it has been so wonderful chatting with you today. And I am so full of all of the maple knowledge and a list of things that I'm going to Google about maple after this. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be able to speak with you today. Yeah. My last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? I think for me, the most rewarding, 
I can even just think about this yesterday. I, I was having one of those days where I just really needed to, to clear my head. We had a lot of things going on. And for me, I was able to step out of my home, walk into the woods and just like look up at the beautiful sky. And it was just a gorgeous view to be able to go out and go for a walk and just to be able to process everything. I, I think, you know, we've forget we lose sight sometimes of all the things that we have to be thankful for because we're so focused on just like meeting deadlines and doing projects but I think the biggest thing for me is just the fact that I literally get to live this life and this is this is what we're doing for a living so I think that's that's one of the best parts for me and the fact also that I get to do this with with Ben and with Wilder Uh, I don't have to leave my house to go to work and, and, you know, be gone all day. I get to, to do this with the people that I care about the most. That is so great. And can I just say Wilder is really cute. <laughs> Thank you. He a, is a cutie, man. <laughs> and you are going to have a lot of fun with him running around those maple trees. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. For the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? You guys can find me on Instagram at Sacred Roots Maple and also on Facebook and then our website, sacredrootsmaple.com. And yeah, those are probably the best ways to reach out. And I love building community with people. So I'd love to connect with more people through this. Perfect. And I will link all of those in the show notes, including your shop so people can buy all of the delicious maple things I know they're craving right now. Yes. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you again for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.